Oh, hi. I'm Dr. K. Mastercola, physical therapist and mental health meme maker. I've spent the past 10 years navigating life with mental illness, and I found a lot of survival guides out there, but none that talk about what happens next. No one is talking about that radical space between surviving and thriving. So I created this podcast as a way to embrace the awkward in pursuit of finding what success truly means. Thanks for coming along too. This is The Thrive Guide. Welcome back to the Thrive Guide podcast. I'm your host, Dr. K. Mastercola, and it is currently 1046 at night. And honestly, kind of on brand for what we're going to be talking about today. So my brain basically said, here you go. Here's the energy. Go take it and run. Uh, so I'm going to capitalize on that. And we're going to jump right in. And so today we're kind of talking about what qualifies me to be a podcast host. And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is the ADHD gene, the how hard can it be gene um, that got me here. I am in no way a mental health professional. I am just somebody who is very experienced in the realm of receiving mental health therapy. And so a lot of this podcast is me talking about those lived experiences, kind of telling them to the void in hopes that someone hears them, feels represented by them. And that's kind of the the sole purpose of this podcast, right? Breaking down barriers of success, breaking down what it truly means, making the anxious and awkward normal. And so what qualifies me to be a mental health podcaster? Just years of living with mental illness. And I'm just sticking with that and rolling with it. And so... I want to talk a little bit about like my my journey with mental health and my different diagnoses through the years and kind of how I've gotten to where I am now. Uh, but to do that, I want to first talk about spoons. And you are like, oh, are we having a bowl of soup at, at 10 at night? No, but I'm very excited. So there is a theory called the spoon theory. And I'm going to kind of dive into that. But first, I want to tell you this really funny story. So allow me to set the scene for you. I'm about to leave for CSM. I'm about to go talk to all of you guys, all the PTs about ableism in the physical therapy realm under the umbrella of mental health, right? That was kind of my contribution to my group presentation with some amazing other advocates for um, anti-ableism in the PT realm. And so when I was thinking about how I can make this engaging content, because I I do not do PowerPoints, I hate them. And which is ironic after surviving grad school, because that's all it was. Um, I'm always kind of looking for more of that, like metaphysical, like, what can I hold? What can I do? And so when I knew I wanted to like talk about spoon theory, I was like, oh, yeah, like, your girl's going to need spoons. And so I go to Dollar Tree. And of course, it is like the day before I'm leaving for CSM. And it's like right after work. So it is 8 p.m. at night. I'm walking into this Dollar Tree. I buy 200 plastic spoons. And I'm like, this should be enough, right? Like, I'm just like grabbing They're like packs of 50. So I'm like grabbing them all off the shelf. And I go like, and I, of course, I didn't grab a basket. So I'm just in here for spoons. How, how about how much bulk can spoons have? So I'm like, juggling 200 spoons, I throw them up on the counter. And the cashier is just like, scanning them each one by one. And let, let me tell you, like, this is the only thing I am buying in this Dollar Tree right now are these spoons. And she looks at me and she's like, a lot of spoons. And 
in that moment i i didn't know how to respond like i i didn't want to like get into like the depths of like oh well i'm speaking on like the process of ableism and the spoon theory have you heard about this like disability motif and so i did what i do best and i panicked and i instead say i own an ice cream shop and then i tap my card gather my spoons and leave so to that one dollar tree woman out there who rang up all my spoons i deeply apologize i do not own a uh an ice cream shop but I do I do fancy a good ice cream. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wait, that was a weird experience I had as a Dollar Tree cashier, let me know because I probably owe you an apology. <laughs> so now that I told you how I um, took 200 spoons also in my carry-on through TSA, so that, that was probably interesting for them to, to scan through the scanner. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why I brought 200 spoons to CSM. So what is the spoon theory. So the spoon theory was a blog post posted by Christine Miseradino, and she is an individual who lives with lupus. And so the story goes that she was out to lunch with a friend and her friend was like watching her take her medication and just kind of like candidly asked. And she's like, what is it like to be sick? Right. What is it like to have chronic illness? And Christine was like, oh, do you mean like just like live day to day? And she's like, no, like what does it feel like? And so like without missing a beat, Christine just like gathers all of these spoons from like around the restaurant, like her table, table next door, all of them. And just like basically hands her friend like a bouquet of spoons and was like, this is your energy for the day. You have 12 spoons. And the friend's like, I want more than 12. And she's like, no, you don't get that. You get 12. And she starts walking her through her day. And she's like, okay, you wake up. So you wake up and you really didn't sleep well. And now you have to kind of like crawl out of bed and like think about stretching, get your muscles moving. You have joint stiffness, one spoon. And then, man, you got to go and like make yourself breakfast. And that is a huge executive function task. That's another spoon. You have to shower. Another spoon right? That's a lot to shampoo. So now before you're even one hour into your day, you've utilized a fourth of your spoons. And that is pretty powerful when you think about how much more in the day you have to go. And so the idea, the metaphor of spoons have kind of become this attribute to the disability community and the mental health community, those of us living with chronic and invisible illnesses, mental illness that others can't really see us physically, right? What are what are our mental spoons? How, how do we take, how do we give? How do we protect our spoons? And how do we make sure that we're not borrowing too many from tomorrow, right? What do I have to do tomorrow, right? Is this going to be to my detriment? And so, I think that that is just such a gorgeous metaphor to discuss. And like, especially being in an interabled relationship, I, you know, we, we just kind of have like a phrase around the house where it's like, I, I only unloaded the top rack of the dishwasher. I'm so I just don't have enough spoons to do it all. Right. And it's not an excuse. Like it's, I don't, I don't use it when I like have the spoons that I just like want to like joke off and don't want to unload the dishwasher. Like, no, like, Literally, it would cause me physical pain because I am so chronically fatigued from my Adderall crash that I cannot muster the energy to move my body. Like I can only lay. 
And so when you think about it from like different perspectives, right? So if my PT's out there listening, um, think about your patients, right? Your patient who was ambulatory, was walking and is now using crutches, how much more energy expenditure are they using, right? What tasks are harder? How much more thought has to go into, oh, how am I going to open this door? And I think that is like the biggest thing that Christine touches on in the most powerful line in her blog story is the difference between being sick and being well is that when you are sick, when you have a mental illness, invisible illness, you get, you, you have to consciously choose your tasks when the rest of the world doesn't have to, right? Those who are not chronically ill, those who do not have depression, do not have ADHD, do not have to time block manage. It just is, is, is natural. And, you know, there's medications that help you, you regulate that too. But um, when you have that kind of like, burden of, of difficulties with energy expenditure, you really, really have to pick your battles and, and almost hope too that like the world is kind of like going to help you out too. You're going to hope that that handicap spot is open. You're going to hope that, you know, you're not going to go into work and your boss is going to like rail on you and your rejection sensitivity dysphoria goes haywire. Um, I'm very blessed where I have a very supportive work environment that has been absolutely game changing just for my overall mental health and well-being and that'll be an entire other episode on itself of how I advocated for myself really to get the job that I wanted so stay tuned for that uh, but first you guys should probably know um, how I became mentally ill I guess on paper <laughs> because let's be real like yes trauma does like play a part in it and like I could go into that but it's maybe not something I'm the most comfortable sharing right now on this public platform. Um, and, but also like, you don't really get to choose if you have mental illness. It, like, yes, like trauma can change, right? There's research and literature, you know, showing like amygdala changes and, and brain body changes that come with increased stress, high cortisone levels. But for the most part, like all of us, like we're predisposed to having these kinds of conditions where again, if you think about, we'll use ADHD as an example. When you think about dopamine, like a vitamin, I have a dopamine deficiency. And so I need to take my supplement, take my Adderall just to factor, to make sure that I am running at baseline. Um, and I think that that's been a really helpful way for me to visualize it. So if you find yourself in that, I, I encourage you to think about it that way as well. Um, so my earliest panic attack that I can physically remember and actually still kind of like viscerally feel was in second grade. And so we were doing math times tables and knowing then what I know now I have dyscalculia. So, and it's very, very common for people with ADHD to have dyscalculia. So basically it's dyslexia for numbers where um, there's a couple different variations, a couple different kinds where like sometimes you can like see the, see the numbers, but you can't like articulate them. It's not like dyslexia typically presents itself where like, you know, the letters will flip on themselves, but um, there's a couple of complexities. And if you're interested, I can link some stuff in the bio down below um, for resources for dyscalculia. Um, but for me, I just, for some reason, like it just numbers don't compute. That's the best way I can put it is like, I can see them, but then there's like a stoppage point in the brain. And I'm just like, ah, and so I am a very bright kid. You know, I am like the class helper and overachiever and talkative and happy. And then we do the times tables test, the timed times tables test. And all of you out there whose heart rate just like increased slightly, you know what I am talking about. 
it is that test that they put you in there and they put like a six minute timer or whatever and they're like okay the fastest person to like do all of these times tables like is gonna like win an ice cream or whatever and these kids like they get so dramatic they're like taking their papers and like slamming it over when they're like done and like sitting there with their crossed arms and i specifically remember it was the sevens it was the sevens that got me because there is no pattern with sevens eights are the words i still cannot do eights so if anyone has like a song out there for the eights please let me know um but the, it was the sevens and it's it's so crazy how i just like viscerally remember all of this and so visually um so the sevens times tables and and they repeat themselves too like some of them are like three times seven the others are seven times three they're the same answer but my brain cannot conceptualize them as the same answer and so i'm going through this times tables test and I am like, uh, 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 you know, I, I just can't catch my breath. Um, and I, I just hear all of the like paper flippings, paper flippings. And in my brain, I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I, the timer goes off and I'm not done. And I'm like, that was really weird. And like, I, this is where I don't remember if this was like, cause I know like, if you like don't finish, you like stay on the same one while your other classmates move on. Um, so I don't know if this is like my third or fourth attempt at it or, or if this was my just first one. But I just derail, like hyperventilating, crying, cannot console myself to a point where like I am now like a distraction to the classroom um, and have to be like excused to guidance. And so guidance, you know, gets involved. I'm like seven and they, you know, call my parents in and they're like, this is a very odd behavior for, you know, a seven-year-old to have. Like maybe she should go like see a therapist. There might be something going on. Um, so that was kind of my first experience with like actual like outpatient mental health therapy is like I was seven years old. Um, and it was not great. You know, they made a lot of like assumptions that like weren't true. They like, I felt like some of the answers were probably more coursed than, um, I wanted to like, maybe, you know, it just, it didn't feel like a safe environment. Like I can still kind of think about it. And like, I went in there and I was like, oh, like I have to be good for therapy. Like it felt like I had to like put on, you know, like my best, like I'm okay face. And for a seven-year-old, that's a lot. Um, and so I think after like three or four visits, like of, of you know, probably my earliest, earliest masking, um, they were like, oh no, like she's okay. I think they were just like having a bad day and she was overwhelmed. And uh, so they sent me home and I, I internalized that so deeply. And I was like, yeah, my emotions are not a problem. I will not let my emotions be a problem because this is now a burden to other people that they have to take me somewhere. Absolutely not. As a seven year old, like you cannot, like, again, like I trauma, sure. But like, predisposed you know like that it was just some deficiency and like yeah it was adhd all along and so under representation i can talk for an hour on that and so that was kind of like my first experience with like a full visceral panic attack and they got worse like as i like got older and like almost entirely surrounding math um, so like in middle school, 
I had a math teacher who, um, <laughs> this is hysterical. She sent an email home uh, to my parents that said, uh, Kay asked too many questions in class and she's becoming a disturbance. Can you please address this with you, her at home? Um, and so I think that that's like comical in itself of like, I'm sorry, I'm making you do your job. I'm sorry that upsets you. Um, and then I remember her like, I don't remember what the conversation was. Oh, I was asking for help. Um, I just didn't understand the quadratics or exponents or whatever. Um, something that I don't have to do in my career. And she was like, I don't understand why you don't get this. Like, I don't understand. Like, this is the simplest complex content i've explained it to you four different ways if you don't get it it's just on you and you'll just have to fail this and pick it up on the next one and oh my like literally like wheezing cannot catch my breath my lungs are on fire it feels like there's a thorn bush growing in my throat and she was like i have to go home now and you missed your late bus so why don't you just go wait in guidance if you're gonna cry and so again, I find myself in guidance. My mom picks me up. The guidance counselors are like, oh, well, like, I'm glad you're calmed down. Like, do your breathing, breathe into a paper bag, and it'll be okay. Like, no attempts to put me in a different math class, no attempts to, like, get me any assistance in tutoring anything. Um, and so that it's that rejection sensitivity dysphoria of, like, I'm asking for help. I'm asking for help and no one is helping me and I'm failing and I'm failing you and that I just can't, I can't cope with. And high school, it got worse again. I played volleyball and I was a setter. So every, every play I'm in and like, sometimes like your hands are just off and you like what's called like double, double ball it. Um, and so like, it means like two hands, like touch it at the pretty, pretty instinctly, but the ball is a different spin on it. So the like ref can tell. And like, if I messed up, like they blow the whistle, like I would see the disappointment on my coach's face and I would just like freak out. Um, and so, and again, math classes, like I was not finishing my test on time and I was freaking out. So like I was getting like B's and C's in math, not because I was bad at match because I didn't have enough time to finish the test so those were all zeros and it's like I look back and like again there's a sense of grief of like no one realized this no one no one said hey like this this could be something here um so I do I do have a lot of of grief when I look back a lot of resentment um at the lack of resources that were provided for me I hope that they're better now as especially more representation is coming out for females with ADHD. Uh, but in that time, I didn't have it. And it was very masked and diagnosed as an anxiety and panic disorder that then really stemmed into depression. And it really got the worst when I was a freshman in college. So ways that I coped like in high school is like I had like this like breathing pattern I would hold my breath I would literally chug 30 ounces of water to kind of like keep my tears back because I was distracting myself um but in college like academically I could take the blow I was like what like it'll viscerally I'm feeling this mentally I know it's fine I'll like get through anyways um but what killed me in college was the social which is very funny and ironic to probably anyone listening listening to this who knows me is that I'm a very social person. I, I pride myself on my golden retriever energy. Like 
people know that when they're talking to me that this is like a warm and energetic space. And I'm very proud of that. And so when I was in college, a freshman in college, I had this group of friends and I, again, I'm like a very ringleader kind of person. And so there's $5 Cardinals tickets. And I was like, guys, like, let's all go. And they were like, yeah, let's go. And I bought us like 10 tickets. And so it was like $70. And I do not have a lot of spare money, right? I'm working um, as like an athletic trainer's tech, um, living on loans and just kind of like trying to survive. And then I remember that like one by one, they all kind of fell off and they were like, oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. And I bought non-refundable tickets. So I am now out $70. And that wasn't the part that killed, like hurt me. The part that hurt me was like the lack of commitment from my friends, right? It felt like a betray. It felt like I failed them in some way. And I think that that's a very important piece to talk about is like, I was like, what did I do wrong? that they didn't want to hang out with me? What did I do wrong that like, you know, I thought I had this like committed thing that we could all do and I'm not good enough to spend that time with. And it was on top of all like struggling, like with just like routines and things going into college too. Like this is like the third or fourth week of my freshman year. Um, I just remember like my whole body shut down and I am laying on my carpet in the dorm room. And I am just like hyperventilating. I cannot catch my breath. I am wheezing. And the only position I can find myself in is this like fetal position. Like I am like, just wanting to rock back and forth because I can pair my breathing with my rocking. And then I can self soothe just slightly enough to stand up. And so within my um, wheezing and rocking, my roommate came in. And again, this roommate has known me for four weeks. I'm still stranger to her. And the poor thing thinks I'm having a seizure. So she grabs my RA and my RA runs in and I I cannot make out any words. It is just wheeze and sob. And, you know, like my back is flaring up. Like I, I just am paralyzed. Like I'm literally paralyzed in fear on the ground, um, fear of rejection. And he was he was the best and he just kind of laid there with me and he's like okay we'll lay here till you need to till you need to feel safe and we'll we'll talk it out and he looked at me when i calmed down and he was like i cannot leave this room unless we make a therapy appointment together and i think that sent me into another spiral because my only experience with therapy so far was when I was seven years old and I was like no the therapist has to think I'm perfect the therapist has to think that I'm perfect and um I was not I was so broken and I am a thousand miles from home and I am like at the first time so alone even though I am surrounded by people and I did not know how to deal with that and so I'm so thankful that like he did not leave until I made that therapy appointment um, with my university. And, and I'm, I'm very blessed and privileged that my university offered 10 free visits, 10 free psychology visits, therapy visits. Um, I know some other universities may not have that same lenience or policy or it is cash-based to go. Um, we did get 10 free sessions. So I take that privilege. I don't take it lightly. 
Um, it's very important in part of my journey and part of my story. And so I made that appointment. I made the first one available and it was with a guy and he was really doing the best he could. Um, but he was kind of like, Oh, maybe medicine, maybe not. And at this point I just needed an answer. And I was like, can can you just like, yes or no? Like, how do I get better? Because like, I can't embarrass myself in front of people like this again. That was my main concern is like, how do I keep myself from embarrassing myself with my uncontrollable panic attacks that I don't have and will not admit to? Um, and so I, I played it off and I was like, you know, like, it's definitely like nothing on you. I just definitely feel like I might benefit more from like a female practitioner, like a female therapist. And he's like, Oh no, like I totally get it. Like we get that all the time. Um, and then he matched me with the most amazing Christina Tischer and we've been together for seven years. She knows all of my trauma. And if anything ever happens, like I'm not allowed to move out of like Illinois or Missouri because like I still need to see her and she needs to fix my life. Um, but I then from there, you know, found my safe space. And I found somebody who I could feel comfortable with um, starting to kind of unravel some of the pieces, starting to unravel some of the the trauma um, that comes with being a caretaker child of a parent with um, physical disabilities and trauma of just like growing up with like undiagnosed panic disorder and trying to figure it out on your own. Um, and again, like, it's not that, I was left alone to the dot. Like I was always in a supportive environment. I always had like the amazing support of my family and my friends, but anxiety and depression doesn't care. You know, anxiety and depression is not going to wait around for your parents to, to leave. Or if, even if someone is asking you and, and giving you the resources, your anxiety and depression is not going to accept them because it doesn't want to admit that it's a problem. Again, going back to that concept of like a squatter in your brain, it doesn't it doesn't want to be addressed because it doesn't want to leave. You know, anxiety is all consuming and it will make you do things like mask that you are okay and try and trick you into thinking that you are okay and that these panic attacks are normal and that you have to live with them forever. And I'm telling you that is not true. And I'm telling you that there are resources and I'm telling you that you are worth getting help. You are worth talking to somebody, finding options. It's okay to go see a second therapist if the first one, you know, like you trust your gut. Like I have IBS and I still trust my gut. So like, if I can do that, you can do that. And like to all y'all girlies who are like, my stomach can't even handle dairy. How am I going to like trust it? Like you got it. You got it. You'll know when like, there's like an ice cream provider versus like a nice safe piece of toast provider. And like my, my IBS and lactose intolerance girlies totally understand that reference. And guys, and guys too. <laughs> Hi, sorry, I wanted to interrupt just to bring you a message from one of our amazing sponsors that helps keep this podcast running. So without further ado, there's a lot of things to be anxious about when it comes to higher education and student loans are no exception. With so many choices and payback plans, it's hard to know if you're spending your money wisely or throwing it into a never ending void. That's where Varela Financial steps in. Specializing in financial planning for PTs, MDs, and chiropractors, their experts understand your debt and most importantly want to help you meet your individualized financial goals. Set up a free consultation to see how Varela Financial can save you money on your student loans at varelafinancial.com. That's V-A-R-E-L-A financial.com. I regularly go to therapy all through college. Um, I am highly encouraged to 
seek out academic resources, to seek out time and a half testing. That was a game changer. Um, And then eventually progressing to time and a half testing in a private room. And I got the notion of like needing a private room because um, again, going back and so ironically how linked it is to those like paper flipping, right? The, the anxiety of someone else is finishing before me. Therefore I am stupid that I don't know this material well enough to do it quickly. For all I know, that person didn't know what they were doing. And it's just like, A, C, D, A, A. And like, that's why they're done quickly. But like watching my colleagues get up and leave, watching my classmates get up and leave, like they finished their exam before me, it was very distracting and it was very um, bad for my my anxiety. And rejection sensitivity dysphoria, as it unmasked itself to become ADHD, it my ADHD really just feels like that like Scooby-Doo meme where it's like, let's see who it was all along. And it's like ADHD and it's like the monster under there. And like the whole gang is like anxiety and depression. It's like, I knew it. Uh, so if you want to know how my brain works, that that's it. My ADHD is just the villain in Scooby-Doo. Um, but they, they always had some good intentions, I guess. It was always for, uh, for something. And so my ADHD isn't always the villain. It, it's got some good perks to it. Um, I'm sorry, I lost where I was. I was getting testing accommodation. So I highly encourage you to, you know, seek out those resources. Testing anxiety is something that is very real, can very much dramatically impact your ability to be successful in a higher education setting. And it's something I wish I had when I was in high school and for the SAT, because I think I would have been a lot better off. I would have felt a lot more comfortable um, had I had those resources. So I encourage you to advocate for yourself for those resources as well. Um, and so four and a half years go by and, you know, I've been to Australia now, I've come back, I'm feeling really good. And I'm getting this like issue with like sensory stuff now. Like I remember it was the summer of uh, gross anatomy, my human cadaver dissection lab, and we're taking that and kinesiology at the same time. So it's a really intense 10 week summer and it is the most stressed I have ever been. And my professor had this clicking that like her lips and her teeth would do on certain words. And it was all I could think about. It was all that I could hear. I couldn't even hear the lecture I'm not even gonna like make the noise like it's like that's like lip smacking noise like this is not an ASMR podcast I'm not gonna do that uh, but she had like and it was so distracting and I was talking to my therapist about it and I was like oh my god like I like cannot focus because all I can hear like is this like mouth clicking and she was like that's that's not anxiety and I was like what and she's like So you're of higher stress and you're noticing more sensory overload. And I was like, okay. And then she breaks out the DSM-5. And uh, I joke that my my ADHD test was the only test I passed in PT school with flying colors. And she starts reading. She's like, do you lose your keys sometimes? And I'm like, all the time. And she's like, do you interrupt people without being mean or malicious and you're just excited? And I was like, all the time. I actually think I probably like cut her off like while she was asking that. And she like goes down the entire list and she looks at me and she's like, I can't diagnose you with ADHD. I can only highly encourage you to get diagnosed or, or to see another professional psychiatrist to get diagnosed with ADHD. And I flat out told her, I was like, no, that's wrong. 
this is I'm just anxious because I don't like that noise. So give me coping skills on how to how to be better, how to not be anxious about lip smacking and leave all that other stuff away. And my uh, my favorite uh, phrase that Christy uses is, uh, let's unpack that. Yeah, let's unpack that. And so I, I adore her. And so she uh, she kind of like let it go. And she was like, OK, like she'll she'll come around. She'll she'll realize. And I look back and like my denial of ADHD is so deeply rooted in a relationship I had in high school with a guy who was probably misdiagnosed with ADHD and was taking medication for it. And he would consistently talk about his symptoms of ADHD and and on the medication, feeling like a puppet on a string. He was like, I feel like I lose every part of me and I can only do the robotics that they want me to do. Um, And it got to a point where he started flushing his pills and his behavior became very erratic. It was a very unsafe environment for me to be in around him. Um, And so I very much internalized ADHD with this relationship that I had. That representation of what ADHD was, that representation that ADHD is unhinged, unprofessional, like very rude and blunt and impulsive and dangerous and also a white boy there was no one i knew in my life who looked like me who had adhd who openly talked about their anxiety and so i i didn't want to talk about it because it felt like no one wanted to listen to it because there wasn't anybody out there that i could find that was talking about it that i wanted to listen to and so I guess that's kind of why I do this is it's like, okay, don't see the representation become the representation, right? And all I am is like, I'm a very privileged white cisgendered female. And I very, very much recognize that. And so there might be parts of me that you represent with, but I highly encourage you that if you don't see yourself out there, you go and you make that representation because somebody is looking and someone needs to hear you. And so I was in such denial that I could have this monstrous disease, this disease that makes people mean and and just, I'm not safe continuing to talk about it. Um, But it got to a point where it really started to impact my life, right? My forgetfulness, my inability to focus, um, my cognitive skills, just like being able to, the more that got put on my plate, like nothing else was being taken off, just more stuff kept getting piled on. And I could not compartmentalize. I could not deal to a point where I was literally having night terrors because my body could not during the day process what was happening. So at night it unboxed everything. And I was waking up with like a heart rate of like 150 and like sweats and puking. And it was all because I, I wasn't getting the treatment that I needed in part because it was not offered to me in when I was younger and also in part because I wasn't ready to accept it. So the scary part is, is actually what made me accept my ADHD diagnosis was when I was on a Reddit thread looking for um, just like help with like accommodations for the board exam because I knew I needed private testing room and a... Um, time and a half testing. And I knew that like, even if I knew the person next to me was not taking the MPTE, they were taking like an accounting exam or like their MCAT. I 
and they got up before me and left, it would, it would derail me. And so what on this Reddit thread, everybody was talking about how they like were denied testing accommodations for anxiety alone, right? Anxiety was testing. Anxiety was not a valid enough diagnosis for FSBPT to accommodate them in a testing center. And talk about your increased anxiety. I was like, what am I going to do? And so one, that that needs to change. We need to advocate to change that because it is a very valid thing to need an accommodation for because we, we do not ask for a serotonin deficiency, a dopamine deficiency. Um, and so, but two, I was like, it was kind of like when I was talking about in therapy with Christy during that week, I was like, it's time. I need to do this. I need to get, I, I, the more I'm thinking about it, the more that I have this. And it also was kind of the rise of TikTok and ADHD TikTok, where people were now more open talking about their experiences with female ADHD. And I started finding myself more represent, represented. And it was, um, I remember one video where the girl was talking about how she could only shop at Walmart because she knew the store layout and it was the only store that wasn't overwhelming to her. And I was like, oh my God, that's me with Aldi. And I was like, ooh, wait. <laughs> and regular grocery stores, oh my God, I hate them. This is like an off like sticky note moment. Like regular grocery stores, like you do not need 14 brands of tomato sauce. I'm sorry. Like I need the name brand and the Aldi brand and I'm okay. I do, like there was no difference. Okay, I, I digress. <laughs> but that actually is like part of like the ADHD diagnosis is like decision paralysis. And so- a great breeding ground for that is a grocery store. Um, and so I was also, again, incredibly, incredibly privileged to have somebody at St. Louis U who was trained in ADHD neuropsych testing. That was a part of my 10 session free. That is not the case for other people. There, That is not the case for a majority of ADHD diagnoses. I got very lucky and I'm very privileged in my ability to have been appropriately diagnosed using resources that were available to me for that were very affordable at the time um, and to, to go see a doctor as well um, to kind of get the medication that I needed because um, I really I only had to take her assessment and bring it to my primary. I, I didn't need a psychiatrist at the time. And so getting I remember that first day that I took my Adderall. Um, I was so scared to take medication. I was so scared that it was going to take away this personality that I have, this like big bubbly energy. And it didn't. It literally just took the 40 tabs in my brain and then made it three. Three very important tabs that were manageable. Like, and, and the, the chronic fatigue, like it literally felt like my head was lifting out of a cloud. Like I didn't have that like back, back of the eyeball headache and like tiredness, fatigue. It was so liberating to finally feel normal. Is that, is normal a thing? Um, and so I, I'm very blessed and very privileged to be properly diagnosed um, because because of my ADHD diagnosis, I now no longer clinically score as depressed um, on the depression scales, which is 
fascinating to think how many people, how many women are out there and even men, you know, are, are underrepresented and also misdiagnosed, right? With anxiety and depression because they're taking the forefront because we're having difficulties regulating our ADHD symptoms. And so I guess um, the long ramble is what qualifies me to have a mental health podcast? Well, I just laid out 15 years of mental health resources that I've lived through. And again, this is not medical advice. It's not me telling you that you have ADHD just because you resonate with some of the things that I, I have said. You know, it is very normal to be overwhelmed by a lot of things or, or mouth clicking. That doesn't mean that you have ADHD, but there are questions that can be answered. There are resources available to get that diagnosis that you may need. And this is a space about thriving. And part of my thriving journey is, is making sure that I have enough spoons to bring content to you, right? That I have, that I protect my spoons enough that I know how to, how to ration them, how to use them enough to, to keep representing because with ADHD, you know, everything is fast and quick, very high and in your face, and then it dulls down, right? So what am I doing in that high energy moment that can best prioritize my, my life? And I'm still kind of working on that. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, I can't say I'm necessarily successful in that aspect of my life as you, if anyone on like watching the video can see by the insanely messy room behind me. Um, but we're going to make it, <laughs> we're going to get there. So this podcast is allowing me to be vulnerable and sharing my story in hopes that it reaches somebody who needs it. I hope that I can end up as a package at your correct address and that this story means something to you. And I appreciate you opening your earballs and letting me in to talk about my long and complicated history with uh, mental illness and how it's really going to get better. <laughs> All right. Till next time, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thrive Guide, presented on the PT Pinecast Network. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or a comment down below. It helps other people find us. You can check out links to everything mentioned in the show notes below. Thank you again, and keep on thriving.